nice when I see that you almost don't want to come back from that mm. that state, that um, presence. It's a good sign. We felt the stillness, I hope we did. And this practice is sometimes called Murakaba in Sufi language and comes the word comes from Rakib, which means the watchful one. So Murakaba is to be simply to be watchful. And uh, watchful of what? Well, Ideally, watchful of the heart oriented towards God. If we watch ourselves in this state, we see, well, we, we wander into thoughts and we come back. What do we come back to? Why do we come back? It occurred to me that if you were with your beloved, imagine you had a beloved, and you're with your beloved, and, and it was something rare and special, would you be daydreaming? Would you just be going into your own thoughts, or would you just really wish to be there? And so imagine if we could feel about God in that way. Feel as if it's there's nothing we want more than to just sit down and be with our dost, our friend, our beloved, knowing that there is a way of focusing internally that you know, even, even if it seems that we're only facing silence or emptiness or nothingness, and yet that nothingness is something full, something rich, something warm, welcoming, and then we see oh, another process begins to happen where we start to think about the, the self steps forward and, and has a story, you know, has something it wants or something it's struggling with, or, and it goes into that for a while. Then you notice and you say, oh, come back. Why go there when I can be here? When I first, if I remember what it was like to try to practice med meditation years ago, it was something tedious. It was like you had to be there for every breath, and it was kind of boring, but you had to just be present, and it was a struggle. The rewards didn't seem very great, perhaps. So if it's that way for you now, be patient. Um, it's possible, it's inevitable, if we're faithful to the practice, that it turns into something um, that is one of the most important experiences a human being can have. Sometimes I experience it as if it's almost like You come in, you sit down, you begin to, you begin the practice, 
And for a moment, there's a kind of like non-alignment, you know, like when pictures get out of focus, you know, you're seeing double images, and slowly you say, oh, I can just do that. I can find my way within myself, within my own being, within my own conscious being. I can find myself to a state that is more here, more in alignment, and in alignment with being in alignment. The only thing you can be in alignment with, really, that's real, is spirit. Who? Allah. Those are just words, but the alignment is real. So it begins to be like a skill that you get. And life, you know, knocks us around this way and that, our own emotions knock us around. To be able to come back and experience that alignment and say, yes, this is this is more myself, this is more what I truly am. And what I truly am is something in alignment with spirit, with ruh, through the heart. So the tradition says that Marakaba is just directing your heart, which is like a mirror, like a lens, like an eye, directing it toward your divine source, toward the divine presence, patiently, in stillness, with full attention, noticing when you lose that attention, coming back just because something happens when we can um, hold that focus. It's as if something's flowing to us. Some energy, some grace, some love, something that we need, without which we're, we get lost. When we lose that sense of being, um, we get drawn to so many other things heart doesn't find rest in those other things. The heart doesn't find tranquility. It doesn't find truth. And likewise, what we do, what we're able to do in the stillness of sitting here like this, is practice for life. So that when we have busy lives and we have responsibilities and things to do and accomplish, we don't get completely lost in them. And we have a way of returning to dhikr Allah, to the remembrance of God, sometimes through the divine name, sometimes through the divine name with the breath. What a difference that makes in our life that we don't, with the help of, of zikr, um, we get lost, but we don't get as lost. We don't get 
completely lost. Inshallah. And when a human being gets more and more lost, there's a whole like levels of reality that you can move from. Let's say this is just the reality of what is, of normal, healthy, waking consciousness. With spiritual practice, we can, um, in a sense, vibrationally move to s- into subtler levels of consciousness, not by leaving this, but by incorporating, by including those subtler levels of feeling, of perception, including them in the here and now, including, for instance, an awareness that we are living in um, a universe of Rahmat, a universe of, of divine mercy. And that's not just a concept, but we sense it. It's part of our reality. And that's just one quality. There are other qualities, other asma. And ultimately there's also the simple but absolutely subtle, high oneness that actually we might have a sense, we might have something in our being that is made to sense that oneness. Oneness sounds abstract, but it's not abstract. When you look in another's eyes and you see the same consciousness as is in you, or you see a reflection of yourself, or you see that this whole world, this whole physical existence is, we say it often, the manifestation of a single source of life and being. It is. When we see the world that way, we look different to each other. The arguments are reduced. Harmony is more possible. And even if there is conflict, even if there is uh, challenging circumstances, our relationship to them is entirely different. So that's moving from here up. But we can also move from here down. When we move from here down, we move into delusion. We move into projection of our ego, imposing things out there. Maybe we impose our story. Maybe it's a poor me story, or if only story. Um, And it's possible to descend even lower, lower even to more and more delusion, into a kind of insanity. It's a loss of haq. It's a movement from simple objective seeing into something that is just really um, uh, a prison of delusion, of fantasy, of darkness, also possible. Certain emotions can carry us there. Hatred, extreme anger, lust, greed, But our path begins, really, the path of Sufism begins 
for people who have reached at least a minimal state of wholeness, of a healthy ego, of uh, decency, of basic goodness. Not perfection, but basic goodness. That's where our work begins. And from there, from that platform, then we can hope to include those higher levels of reality. This is also what is meant when they say, you know, there's no Sufism without Sharia. In this case, Sharia is basic morality, knowing proper boundaries, uh, honesty, generosity, goodness, wishing well to others. on that foundation that presence can be established and remembrance of God. And the other qualities can flow in and inspiration can flow in. But essential to this, essential to these higher levels, absolutely what's essential is that state we've been calling Marakaba, that state of openness, of presence, when we can free ourselves from the the whole mechanism of mind and emotion, the habits of thinking, of telling our stories, our poor me stories, or our stories of blame, or whatever those stories are, and, and just being able to step back from all of that into a clear space, just to be your I am, your I amness, your isness. The more we can do that, the more Allah can actually meet us. The Divine can communicate with us. The Divine can bless us, guide us, inspire us. Murakaba. Zikr. Huzur, Iman, these are all the states that become our, our homeland, our, our reality. And yes, there's still a self that rises up with its Sometimes it's complaints, it's desires, it's confusion. Now you can see it a little better. It doesn't have complete control over us. It's not the only character. It's not the only self. It's just seen for what it is. a part of ourselves.
And these states and these experiences can be explained to anyone. They can be taught to anyone who wants to learn, basically. Not dependent on belief. Not dependent on what you nominally call your religion. But can make your religion real. People talk about becoming a Muslim or becoming Christian or becoming a Buddhist. You can only really become any of those states if we have the being capable of entering the reality of those paths, those teachings, entering into it with our own being, with our own awakened consciousness. something else prepared for tonight, but I'm going to postpone it till next week. And because we began with a very deep and actually beautiful Merakaba. And it also occurred to me that it's been a long time that since we've had a, a visit from Shamsi Tabriz. So I think he's right in the next room bringing up. Six or seven years ago in California, we would, every week we would have a reading from Shems. I've never done that here. It's very strong medicine. Preface, yes, go ahead, open it up first. Okay. You wanted to say something? Well, this book is one of the most impenetrable books in all of Sufism. The great scholar Anna Marie Schimmel uh, said that this could be the greatest book in all of Sufism if it weren't so, I don't know what word she used, confusing, tangled. But Camille, over 15 years, did a lot to untangle it. And uh, that's a long and interesting story in itself. We had uh, a whole pile of notebooks that were written, handwritten, rough translation from Turkish into English. And we kept asking people to help us transcribe it into, you know, to keyboard it. Just type it in. Just type it in. And um, 
we would, we would go through the longest anybody would last at this task was not very long, maybe a few weeks. And we were willing to pay people to sit there and do this, but it would like they would get cross-eyed and they would they would say, "I can't do it anymore. It's just too much." I don't know why. Part of it was the translation itself, where there are a lot of parentheses and and synonyms for words, and it was very difficult to comprehend, both perhaps for linguistic reasons, but also for other reasons. So it took us years to just get get it keyboarded, and then it took more years to kind of uh, even it out, to put it into something closer to real English. And then it took a few more stages of work uh, to really polish it and to know where one part began and or ended because it was just like a stream of consciousness. You didn't know where one part began and another part ended or even who was speaking or who was being spoken about. So it took a lot of a lot of work but it was worth it. And I can also say that when James Winston Morris taught, spoke about this translation at a major conference in Tehran among top Sufi scholars, Jim said that this translation is more understandable than the original Persian. So, let's see if that's the case or not tonight. Let's see what John has for us. Without a doubt, the children of the wealthy and those who have benefited from the favors of the world don't need anything. They may not run after it, but in them there is a wish for softness and a great desire to get along easily with people. If they dive too much into the pleasures of the world, harmony is lost. And if they behave outrageously, or if they are frustrated, mischief occurs. Even those among them who feel some sadness about their desires, and those who anticipate something other than their own superiority, can't separate their desires, Nef Salamara, from the world. They never try to approach repentance, but get drawn further into worldly desires. They have no relationship with the spiritual guidance of, from the Quran, Surah Duha 93.7, did he not find you wandering and guide you? Instead, they all run in the direction of waywardness. When the devil makes you lose your way in your desires, 
Can you ever find the right way by yourself? When he makes you lose control over your desires, your state then seems more pleasant to you than if Gabriel were to reach you. Could you read that sentence again? Yeah. <coughs> I'm <having> trouble seeing. <laughs> when he makes you lose control over your desires, your state then seems more pleasant to you than if Gabriel were to reach you. Perhaps only God, with his help and efforts towards his servant, can turn you away from this. So let's reflect on this a little bit. What will we do with this? Well, um, it might be helpful, I mean, just to, in reflecting on this, to read the passage before and after it so that we have okay. some of the flow of his reflection. So the passage before is teaching and learning. One day, someone said to me, I benefit more from Mevlana's counsel than yours. In response to this, I said, let's bring the community of friends together. Let's discuss something so that they might understand. The purpose for this is not to mislead the community, but to learn. It's just as in the Quran, when the prophet Joseph was yearning for God, he taught him this yearning. O sustainer, you have given me something of sovereignty and have taught me something of the interpretation of words and dreams. From Surah 12, 101. The words, originator of the heaven and the earth, were also taught to him in a special way. In a broad way, also, again in the next verse, it was said that only God and those who are greatly advanced in knowledge know how to interpret this. Joseph says, Kill me as a Muslim. Isn't that strange? Considering this explanation, which Islam does Joseph want? And then he says, quoting from the Quran, join me with the community of the good and upright ones. Which good and upright ones? In every prophet there is goodness and uprightness. But prophethood is not in every righteous one. He means, my God, you did not leave me without a share of prophethood. Don't leave me without a portion of the saints either. Join my spirit with them. If it were not so, 
Would he want to persevere both in Islam and in joining the good and upright ones? The command cannot be ignored. There is no doubt that the commandments of this poor one also have their usefulness. By these commandments the doors of spirituality are opened. The poor one doesn't fix his eye on the world, its favors or ornaments. He himself is good fortune beyond description. And then comes the passage we read first. And then there's a little section following it that also gives some context called Tasting the Moment. My nafs shows such obedience to me that even if they were to bring hundreds of thousands of plates of halva and kebabs, and even if I had an appetite, I would never even turn around and look at the food that others crave. The barley bread that I give it in the right moment is more pleasant than the kebab that I might give it at the wrong moment. Mm. I might get it what moment? at the wrong moment. And the kebab, I would give it at the wrong moment. may seem like there are many things to hold in mind, but really the great turning, which is about tawbah, repentance, it talks about the children of the wealthy, those who have benefited from the favors of the world and don't need anything. They may not run after the world, but in them there is a wish for softness and a great desire to get along easily with people. If they dive too much into the pleasures of the world, harmony is lost. And if they behave outrageously, or if they are frustrated, mischief occurs. Even those among them who feel some sadness about their desires, and those who anticipate something other than their own superiority, can't separate their desires from the world. and those who anticipate something Mm -hmm. other than their own superiority. Could you explain? It seems he's ameliorating the situation a little bit. I mean, it's interesting. It seems we have some large examples in our world these days of people like this. and yet, there, I mean, even among the people, um, so he's sort of qualifying different groups within that group of those who were born with privilege um, or find themselves in a privileged position, that even those among them who feel some sadness about their desire, so there are some who 
can recognize, you know, um, some of the extent of the compulsions that they may have. Um, and those who anticipate something other than their own superiority. So there are those who, you know, can recognize that they might not always be in a superior position. Um, even those groups within that larger group still can't separate their desires from the world. They can't pull themselves back. They never try to approach repentance, but get drawn further into worldly desires. Now, use a word like he uses a word like repentance, and immediately you think. Now we're thinking in terms of moral do's and don'ts and repentance. But what is that? What is the cause of real repentance? What even makes repentance possible? Mm-hmm. He says they have no relationship with the spiritual guidance of, and then this ayat from Surah mm-hmm. Doha. Did he not find you wandering and guide you? Instead, they all run in the direction of waywardness. Waladalin. When the devil makes you lose your way and your desires, can you ever find the right way by yourself? Can the nafs correct the nafs? When he makes you lose control over your desires, your state then seems more pleasant to you than if Gabriel were to reach you. you want, you're happy with yourself, with your desires. Perhaps only God, with his help and efforts towards his servant, can turn you away from this. So, I'm wondering if if we, for instance, whether we see any relationship between this and everything we were talking about before we read this. The relationship obvious? In the passage before with Joseph and his process, certainly the depth of Merakaba in the prison, in the well, all of his experience. Yes. And Joseph says he was given the yearning by God. Mm -hmm. At the very end of this he says, perhaps only God, with his help and efforts towards his servant, can turn you away from this. But does God just kind of come in and is just you're going to wait for God? You're going to bet on God coming in and turning you from your waywardness? Is that what we'll count on? How is it that God even enters this situation? And then he gives us the concrete example. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, tasting the moment. 
Put yourself, recall the state of Merakaba, watchfulness, and what that experience is. And you can step back from your desires, from your thoughts, from all of the things arising in your nafs that send you this way and that and in more directions than you can ever follow. But the one who has mastered all of this, and the mastery that comes from being able to be watchful, being able to be rakib, my nafs shows such obedience to me that even if they were to bring hundreds of thousands of plates of halva and kebabs, and even if I had an appetite, I would never even turn around and look at the food that others crave. He's centered in his own being, period. Nothing is needed beyond that. Kebabs and halva, not important. Not attractive. But the barley bread that I give it, give my nafs, in the right moment, is more pleasant. Imagine that the barley bread I give it in the right moment. In other words, when you are aligned, when you are centered in your being, and you know that a simple piece of barley bread is enough to satisfy your hunger. is more pleasant than the kebab that I might give it at the wrong moment. When I'm out of control, when I'm gluttonous, when I'm eating more than I know I need to eat. So it's, it's about mastery. It's about being the master over our impulses, our desires, our thoughts. And it's also, it's called, this other section called the Great Turning, or Tauba, mm-hmm. really forces the question, what is Tauba? Is it just like beating your breast and saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry? Or is it the ability to really witness from a deeper place. Repentance comes when there's a little bit of mastery, when you can say, I don't need it. This barley bread is just fine. I've told a story about um, a yeshiva, that's a Jewish school, religious school, in the town of Chelm, which is my namesake, Chelminski, same place. And one of the great yeshivas of Eastern Europe was there. And one day a group of uh, Polish noblemen, drunk and carousing, came riding on their horses and galloped around, shooting off their guns and their mouths around the school. But when they looked into the window, every one of the young boys there was studying Torah and didn't even look up. So 
So what were they learning? More than words on a page. They were learning Merakaba. It's good to be with Shams. So, you know, we're told, repent, 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 you know. Countless sermons tell us to be good. Repent and be good, don't be bad. Be good, don't be bad. Human beings don't have the capacity to even choose whether they're good or bad. To even choose between the barley bread and the kebab. No, they're eating the kebab and regretting it later. And then temporarily repenting until the next kebab. And why do they repent? I mean, yeah, it puts me in mind of when I was in school in the 1950s and parochial school, and we talk about perfect contrition and imperfect contrition. You know, perfect contrition was because you had offended God, imperfect was because you wanted to be saved. And, mm. you know, that, that some of what you were saying reminded me of that. Say it again. What are the two? Perfect contrition is offending God. Offending God. Imperfect contrition is just wanting to be saved. Not just, but wanting to be saved. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Talking about the same thing. And yet, um, more from a, a sense of the recognition of the beauty of the divine presence and the immense blessing of that rather than from a sense of punishment or, you know, escaping punishment or something like that. Mm -hmm. But just the um, the treasure of that divine communion I was always thinking about Murakabe as a uh, very deep uh, self-assessment, self-criticism, and harsh criticism to, mm-hmm. to self, to me, to I. And in order to play with the frequencies of the heart, as you said, alignment, mm-hmm. but it is it requires self-assessment, self-criticism. Which is, <coughs> which is passing through Tobe level and automatically the conditions of Tobe satisfies if you are at that level. Mm-hmm. If you can make Brakabe, 
it includes to the mm-hmm. the recognition. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is. It is self-awareness, self-assessment. Now, mm-hmm. I understand what you're saying, but more commonly, at least in Mevlevi tradition, mm-hmm. Sufi tradition, Merakaba, what you're describing is muhasaba. Mm-hmm. Taking is ta- account. Taking yeah. account of yourself. Um, you know, from hasid, adding things up. And looking, thinking, looking at ourselves critically with the mind, with the reason, mm-hmm. with a kind of moral evaluation. Mm-hmm. That's still using certain faculties of thought and reasoning. And it's good and necessary. It has a function, it has a function and a purpose. But in the state of Merakaba, what Peggy was talking about, when you say not wanting to, if I say, how can I honestly say I don't want to offend God or I want to please God. How can I really say that and know what that means? I mean, if I'm a little boy and I'm trying to be a good little Catholic boy, which I once did too, which I once tried to be, (laughs) Um, yeah, as a nice little Catholic boy, I'll say, yes, I want to be good. I want to be a good boy and I, I don't want to offend God. It all makes sense. Fine. But here... In spiritual practice, we're talking about an experience. We're talking about coming into an experience where we experience in our own being what it's like to be nearer to the Divine Presence. And we can even sometimes see the things that take us away from it. You know, negativity of any kind, for instance. So you come to know, you come to have that experience of, from within yourself, of the beauty of that presence, with being with God's presence. Become something real. Merakaba is a practice that is designed to make that possible. And for the children, you tell them this other stuff, it's good that they develop a moral conscience, especially in youth. That's when our conscience is developed more than at any other time. If we don't get it started then, we may never get it started. Um, And then we have mohasaba, which is the kind of honest self-observation and um, evaluation and even criticism of ourselves, which has a role. It's still mental still mental and emotional. And then there's the Merakaba. I mean, we have to define our terms. You can say it means whatever you want it to mean. But in the glossary, in the working glossary, in the working methodology of this discipline, and we're talking within a specific discipline, how we define these terms is important because sometimes they refer to different states. And to know from your own experience how to be in that state of pure presence, of pure huzur, we 
which means more than peacefulness, it means an awakened presence. To know that state very well, to be able to return to it, is what immediately allows a real repentance, because you see that you compare what it's like being lost in negativity compared to what it's like being at peace with yourself, at peace with God.